with development, anything that can cause the developer to basically put his hand in his pocket. So there's a cost um, needs to be considered by the valuer. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the show. I'm glad you could join me. I trust you are well and your projects are on track. I have an interesting show for you today as we speak with a professional valuer about the valuation part of a development project. Before we get to that, here's an update on my projects. It's been a very busy couple of weeks. My 20 townhouse project is rapidly approaching settlement. I've obtained the Statement of Compliance from Council, so they were happy I had satisfied the key conditions of my land subdivision permit. And the titles have been released by the bank to go off to the Titles Office for registering. Once we get those back, we can initiate settlement. We've had a few inspections, and so far we've had a couple of people actually move into their properties early under a licence agreement. So that is nice that people can start living in their new home. On the second project, the public notice period has ended, and we received quite a lot of objections from the neighbours, including a local action group that is against development. So we're about to go through the community consultation process, which is led by council, to see if we can address the concerns that people have raised. We'll do our best to explain what we are trying to achieve and see if we can resolve some of the issues. Okay, on with the show. Today's guest is David Way from Knight Frank Valuations. Getting your valuations right is very important for securing acquisition funding and exceptionally important when you apply for construction funding. The role of the valuer is an interesting one as they are usually appointed by the lender to review your project to see if the value stuck up but they work closely with you on sourcing a lot of the reports and documents they need to complete their report. I enjoyed speaking with David, and the discussion really helped me better understand the role that valuers play. We talk about how valuers approach evaluation, how to best work with a valuer, and what to look out for in a valuation report. I started off by asking David what food he could eat until he was sick. Oh, that's probably easy. Pizza. Uh, I have... Set a few records over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Pizza's becoming a, uh, a common response. So It is something. It tends to come after a few beers. So, yeah, the ability to consume it increases exponentially after uh, <laughs> beer consumption. And, and the desire to. Yeah, absolutely. Any particular type of pizza? Um, yeah, I, I do like an wine, but no one else does. So in the family, so I tend to get shuffled down the down the rung and try and try and pick the pineapple pieces off a one with a lot. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we'll how. go the old half and half. Yeah, I do like a marinara too. Uh, if oh. we get the get a good seafood operator in there, and that's uh, um, golly a Hawaiian and a, and a marinara. That's not the, the most popular part. combinations on the pizzas. <laughs> no, I know that might be. Explain my personality, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, we're here, to t- here today to talk about valuations mm. and your the leading valuing organisations across Australia. Yep. So we're going to talk about valuations for developers. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into valuation? Right. Yeah, well, um, funnily enough, I had to think about that when you put that question to me and um, it was a... Uh, um, school, you know, um, careers advisor questionnaire, and I wanted to be a physiotherapist, 
and um, I filled out the form and they came back and said, you'd be no good as a physiotherapist, but have you ever thought of being a property value? <laughs> and I'd never heard of it. So, and, uh, and um, can I ask why your answers indicated you'd be I got no, no idea. good as a physiotherapist? It was, it was 1986, so it was too long ago to recall the exact questions and my answers, but um, there you go. Those things perhaps work. I, um, it was my it was a bit of a shock. I went and had a chat to a friend who was a hotel broker and and also um, had a valuer on staff and uh, then I found out I had a cousin who was a valuer and all of a sudden I made some further inquiries and thought, well, it's, it's a hell of a lot easier, Mark, to get into into the property valuations than physiotherapy. So <laughs> that was the other interesting part to it. So I thought, oh, well, I'll follow it and see how I go. And so how did that unfold? Oh, well, um you know, uh, get through what was then HSC instead of VCE and um, and then off to RMIT, apply and got in and uh, four years uh, Bachelor of Business majoring in property and, um, and then out the other side in straight into the, the early 90s recession where I was <laughs> made redundant and got in the queue with everyone else holding a bowl. But um, in some ways shapes you you know in terms of what can happen how it can happen and at a young age how you deal with it mm. and so what kind of skills do valuers need or do they teach you at university yeah so rmit typical of any university course to give you the, the, the basics in terms of um uh you know law accounting um economics uh, probability, so there was some statistical work in there, which I actually quite liked. Um, and uh, then, um, you know, they narrowed in as the, the course got closer to it, to its end in specific valuation principles. So um, a lot of uh, rural content at the time. Um, but, yeah, zeroed in on specialties too, hotel Values came and spoke and all the rest of it. So it was pretty, always a pretty well structured course, the RMIT course. And I think, from what I've heard, Deakin um, and Melbourne University both do a good job as well. So it's not just a dark art. No, there's a little bit of background. I mean, some developers might <laughs> <laughs> wonder what's going on in a value's head at times and, and think there's some black magic being performed. But um, no, the, the, there's a base for everything and. That's the stepping stone to get to get going. Yeah. And I've always thought that value is maybe this is just for residential property, mm. pretty conservative when it comes to, to valuations. Yep. What's the, what's your view on that? Yeah. Look, um, they they are, um, and the typical purpose of a value valuation that you might come across being a developer yourself is is for first mortgage purposes. So as soon as you put the purpose along with the valuation task, market value, uh, as is or as if complete in the case of, you know, proposed townhouses or apartments. Um, the value's job is to consider the security that, that's, that's been put to the bank and and the risks. Um, you know, I think you've had some financial people on your podcast in, in, in over 2016 and, and there's probably a bit of a theme there, risk. So with risk comes perhaps a conservative position. Having said that, um, it's not the valuer's job to determine market value and, and then drop it by 10% to feel comfortable uh, because that doesn't help anyone either. It causes all sorts of grief in terms of uh, settlement issues and um, 
and, uh, and and the like, and and you know, value his own property too. And the day the day will come where it's flipped around, <laughs> and, and they experience a bit of pain, and and they'll see that um, it's it's more appropriate to um, to get the value right, make sure that it's well well founded, that the risks are assessed, and there's good market evidence in behind it, which is you know got some currency about it. Yes, well, risk is definitely a big element of developing. Absolutely. So you talked about the first mortgage being the reason that a lot of valuations are initiated. Who does the valuer actually work for? Is mm. it the bank or the developer? Because we Good. generally pay, pay for yeah, the report. That's, that's, that's probably the nub of the developer's um, difficulty in understanding the valuer's role and where they sit and, and where everyone sits. Um, there's no doubt in my mind um, I work as an independent uh, to determine the security for the bank. So I'm effectively an adjunct of the bank. And like all good banks, they pass on their costs. Um, and so the developer pays for the privilege. I mean, in the, the good old days, it might have been what they would have called a mortgage establishment fee, but they don't use that term too much anymore. Um, but it, it's part and parcel of applying for a loan and, and the valuer steps in front of the process and, and determines the value of that security. So um, the ultimate test is if the bank has to realise the asset, what's someone going to pay? That's not the, not the developer that's already in the property, it's, it's, it's the hypothetical third-party purchaser. Yeah, well, I was going to come to that, but seeing as you've raised it, we yep. might as well discuss that. Mm. So I know that's one of the key elements or components of a valuation report is yep. the what happens if you have to sell it yep. quickly. Mm-hmm. So can you just talk us through your thinking behind that? Um, yeah, well, look, interesting that you use the term quickly. We probably use the term, uh, uh, you know, under um, a, an appropriate marketing and sales campaign. So the, the conundrum for the developer is I don't want to sell. Um, but if he's lost control of the asset, then it's the test is the bank um, sells the property at a market value within a reasonable time frame. And if the market has tanked, um, it's what a purchaser will pay. It's got nothing to do with the vendor. So, you know, the purchaser then determines the market, you know, and, and, and the depth of those purchases will then determine how well you go in, in realising the asset. So... Um, it, it, this is where some developers get confused because they see a, perhaps a cash flow or a <clears throat> hypothetical development model and it's got things like stamp duty in, in the assessment and, and, and they're confused because they've already paid it. You know, that's not that – why have you got in there? You know, I've already paid it. I don't, it's not going to be – it's not, not the test. The test is the next um, developer in or the next purchaser in has to pay stamp duty and so that's why it's sitting there. And then what about uh, some of the other key parts of the valuation report? Yep. What are the, what are the key parts that you're looking for and developers should know about? Uh, look, I think, um, you know, the, the valuation reports for development can be, can be quite detailed. You know, like, like everything, it all starts with your legal right to the property, so a title is, is, um, is number one. And... Um, uh, unfortunately, in our world now, um, 
you know, the title or the requirement for value is to consider title as on, on um, standard residential has been waived by the banks to, to, to get the process quicker and, and a bit cheaper. Um, but in uh, a development funding valuation, that's very much we search the title, we search the instruments, we try to determine um, if there are any risk associated with encumbrances on the title. Uh, so that's step one. Um, and then step two is your planning and have you, you know, where, where are you at? Um, and once again, we're looking at risk elements and the risk elements can be reduced through, you know, achieving a planning permit and endorsed plans. So that's locked away. We know what we've got. Um, and then we look, start looking at the conditions and are there conditions within that um, that permit which lead to further questions regarding, you know, an environmental audit or contributions to council. Um, in the case of a subdivision permit, uh, public open space contributions. So, with development, anything that can cause the developer to basically put his hand in his pocket, so there's a cost, um, needs to be considered by the valuer. So, permits are pretty important. Um, and then, you know, we start to, to look at um, the, uh, the proposed improvements. Um, detailed specifications, um, critically things like ceiling heights are quite often overlooked, number of lifts, um, you know, everything should be reconciled. So the developer should really understand fully what what he's got and what he's building. Sometimes the, they change the plans that often that they lose sight of what it is that they've actually got and, and they present the valuers with plans that are, that are old, they need currency, and they need to reconcile with all the various reports that go with it. So quantity surveyors, um, architects, everyone needs to be aligned. And you'd be amazed how often they're not. Oh, I actually don't know that I would be, wouldn't be amazed <laughs> with the number of reports that get done. And well, this is it. And, and then when you're in the developer's seat and they're, and they're having to move quickly and dealing with all sorts of consultants, it can sometimes be lost. So if you've got this pain in the neck value who keeps coming back at you all the time to get, a reconciliation of documentation, it's it's a good thing. So it, it means that you're not going to get those questions in when it, the, the valuation arrives at the bank and it's too late or, or it means another valuation to, to consider changes or whatever. You don't want that. Um, so then look at market, market um, uh, situations in terms of stock and um, look obviously looking at stand, we're looking at evidence, uh, compiling evidence on land and, completed product for apartments you know off the plan we look at off the plan sales and sale rates um, we also look at resale rates for existing stock because because they can be quite two different levels of value um, looking at um, obviously what we touched on with the permits but the costs uh, so we can come up with a feasibility and uh, to determine profit because the bank will want to see that there's a reasonable profit in anything that they fund um, and uh, and then we certify it, basically say it's you know, true and correct, we've done our, done our best and followed the rules um, in terms of you know, there are standard instructions for, for from banks and also from the API and, and RICS. And I also note there's always a caveat in there. Yeah, look, there's plenty <laughs> of, quali- yeah, plenty any, of uh, qualifications. Yeah, look, there's a 90-day shelf life on them, yep. um, so you do need to get your timing right when you engage the valuer. Um, at the same time, I mean, the value 
needs to be flexible enough to to get his inspection date right. No point charging out their day you know, day one of the instruction when you know the developer's going to feed you over a three-month period, um, time you run. Um, probably doesn't matter if it's in Richmond. It's not far to pop back again and refresh. But those sorts of nothing worse than a developer getting a report and, and, and there's 12, you know, 15 days left <laughs> of shelf life with it and, um, and, and he's got to go back and ask for it again. Yeah, I remember the getting the list from the valuer which was you guys, yeah. of all the things I had to provide for the valuation reports about as long as my arm. Yeah, and look, you, you feel sort of, um, is it necessary? And quite often we'll get a developer come back a bit grumpy and and, um, and say, um, you know, I'm paying you to do it. You you find out. this That adversarial sort of a approach to the process doesn't help. Um, it, it's a hindrance. It slows things down. Um it, it, as I said, it, this, we're running in parallel lines, but we're still working to the, together in, in some ways. So whilst we're independent, we're not we're not a um, being uh, being engaged as an advisor. We're we're being engaged as an independent expert. Um, we still run parallel with the developer, and the and the better the developer organises the information and assists with the process, the quicker it's done, the better it's done. You get a better result. In terms of quality of the report and and how how it moves through a credit unit at a bank because the bank's then got another credit process in which they review the valuation and if it's highly qualified because the developer didn't want to play they thought this was just a pain in the ass process and I want to be part of it the worst case is that the valuation is not believable or it's highly qualified and you don't get your money so that's been a waste of time money effort all, all of the above. Um, and um, uh, re- reiterate that it's much better if the developer gets off on the right foot with the valuer and, and, and nothing wrong with asking questions why you need that information and then it should be properly explained. And it, tell me, is it harder, easier to do valuations in a stable, rising or falling market? It's harder to do them in a falling market because the evidence dries up typically. Or the evidence is more difficult to obtain, and for some in the market, they deem some of the evidence to be tainted or forced. But unfortunately, when you're in fully market, forced evidence is, as I said, the purchaser drives the the sale to a degree. I mean, the vendor um, puts puts the property to market over an orderly campaign, and if the best three offers are twenty percent below where he started, well, that's the market. And that's when it gets really tricky because then the vendor, if they're not under any pressure, they go, well, I'm not selling. So it's back off the market so you don't have any evidence. And what about in a rising market? I guess you've got a bit of buffer there, but do you also yeah. get developers going, well, you value it at point A, mm. but I know that in a month, three months or six months, it's yeah. going to be higher again and that's yep. where I see the value. Yeah. So we can't forecast and we, and we can't provide you future values. We're not sure to do so. So all we can give you is the, the here and now, um, and that can be improved if the value is on top of his game and has currency of evidence that you know, you're looking at the, the valuation date of April 2017, um, that, that he's got 2017 evidence, early 2017 evidence, you know, if he's referring to the 2014 or 15 market, 
it's a waste of time. Um, so having said that, there's sometimes in you know, particular property sectors where there's lack of evidence and you need to go back that far, for, for particularly for specialty or, or unusual locations. Uh, but once again, the, the then behold on the value to explain his position and how he's adjusted for the time and all the rest of it. But he can't give you a future value, unfortunately. No, no, no forecasting, no, no crystal ball. <laughs> if, only, so if only we had one of those. <laughs> That's right, we'd all be, I don't know what we'd all be doing. We'd all, all be probably chasing the same marble if we all had the crystal ball, but anyway. That's right. I just want to go back and cover some of the things that you've already mentioned when go you were it. going through the process of the valuation. You said you were looking for um, encumbrances. Mm. So what are the kind of typical things that you're looking for that can cause problems? Um, look, sometimes it can be something very simple, like a single dwelling covenant on a title. Um, it's not the end of the world, but it will, you know, if if you're in an estate in which the benefactors of that covenant um, uh, realise that um, a multi-dwelling development is proposed, they might enforce it. So that's in a simple, um, simple sort of context. Um, easements, right away easements. Um, you know, you, someone's you're taking away someone's ability to access a piece of land that's landlocked or something like that. And we, we're always looking for things like that. Um, also, you know, um, public infrastructure easements for larger larger piece, parcels of land, and you know, um, sometimes we've seen some wacky plans that don't have regard to <laughs> even ac- access o- over such. Um, Easements that, in, in terms of, um, or, or under easements, or you know, the, the um, removal of easements, the or the the, um, uh, the reinstatement of an easement or movement, you know, picked up and shifted. Um, then you got one seven three agreements. They're, they're more they're more common now um, with council. It's basically a tool for council to say, well, we'll give you a planning position if if you do this for us. And that's where some, you, know, you might have to um, uh, rebuild an intersection, put in traffic lights, and, and it's a cost to the development. So you got your permit, which had an extraordinary outcome in terms of yield, but the offset was that you had to put in two or three hundred thousand dollars in in roadworks. So you know all, all those sorts of things we're, we're looking at, um, and, and you know um, typically they're attached to the title. And hopefully the developer would be already aware of those things. Look. 999, well, 999 times out of 1,000, they are. Um, occasionally, a little instrument sitting on, on an older title, a 1950s title, um, yeah, it gets missed. They're the ones that, that we sort of go, oh, have you considered this? Oh. Even something like a simple thing like a caveat. Um, caveat's a registration of a, of a you know, pecuniary interest in the, in the property. Um, and, and if we, we our valuation is based on a, on, a, on a readily saleable property, if there's a cave in on it, it's not readily saleable until you remove it. So simple things like that. Okay. And then you talked about plans and permits yep. and the impact that might have on evaluation. Yep. So can you talk us through what you're looking at in terms of uh, value of the raw land, I suppose, versus mm. an uplift in value yep. with the granting of... Permits or a permit. So, you know, the, the permit provides the um, 
effectively your your outcome. This is this is what I'm going to build. The value's job is to determine whether that's um, an extraordinary outcome, a middle of the road outcome, or an underperforming outcome where there might be another higher higher and better use. So some, sometimes you know the you know the value is actually if it's just a, a valuation of land easy, you might ignore the permit. Um, might say look, that, that's you know they've, they've got a permit for six townhouses and you can build fifty apartments. Or, that has to be the value is beholden to come up with the highest and best use, except if it's a construction funding valuation, where you know we've had instances in the past where a family might be wanting to build, you know, three boutique whole floor apartments um, and and not take advantage of another three levels, um, and um, and so you end up with a, a term called project-related site value, which some of the banks like to hear, some of them don't. But it, it's a real test of that specific project and what the the land value might be if, if um, you, know, you know, as a starting point, um, and construction gets going, there's no turning back. Um, extraordinary permits where they add value is if they've, you know, achieved something or taken risk a way um, that, that might be above and beyond what the general planning scheme is offering. There's always the, the cost and time value of them. In this market where sites are chased very hard and, and in fact, developers are almost paying in advance for a standard sort of planning outcome, there's no no added value to the permit. Um, but where, where they've achieved, you know, if the preferred maximum was five levels and they've got ten, um, yeah, you've got to then step back from it and say, um, typically the, the land would have been worth this. With the permit, it's now worth something more, but the risk is there because the permit has a life. If it's not acted upon, you could fall back again. So they're the sorts of things that we juggle. And when you talk about an example where you might get a permit for three levels where in actual fact you could probably get six. Yeah. So do you make the bank aware of that or yeah. the, lending, the lender that yep. perhaps is not the highest and best use? Yeah, look, you're just plucking a few numbers, but you, you might say, well, the project-related site value in, under the the construction funding deal that's in front of you is $2 million, but if you sold it um, without the, the, the development um you know, going ahead and it was reconsidered by the next purchaser in, it might sell for $4 million. So, yeah, that happens actually a fair bit. You'd be surprised how often, um, particularly with um, townhouse, the townhouse market and some smaller apartments in the outer suburbs where the builder-developer is very dominant. They don't that in order to compete, they look at a building profit and, and tend to forget about the developer profit. And so the, the, the competition is very, very hot for those sites and, and therefore sometimes they get, get a bit of a rude shock because the, the once again we're valuing it for the bank and that if it falls over at a point of the construction cycle, but, you know, are you going to sell to another owner builder or are you going to sell to a developer or engage a builder? And so you might find there's a conservative position taken there. So that's something else that can cause a bit of grief for developers, but um, it all it varies in market to market. Okay. And you also mentioned looking at things like resale rates. Yeah. Which 
guessing that's related to apartment projects primarily. Yep. Where do you get those figures from? Yeah, so the the resales are um, are available through government databases. They're available through um, the various uh, uh, real estate institute um, databases. they're, they're pretty freely available to Avaya. Um, and the tricky bit is getting the actual property information. The sales information, the, you know, we've got, I think we've got to sign a privacy statement to, to, to get a vendor and purchaser details um, through the government databases. But um, ge- generally, um, that part of it's the easy bit and we can always pick up the phone and it's always preferred that the value is engaged in the market and speaking to the agents to verify a sale. Um, and get a feel for, for whether it was it was it a you know it was these guys and no one behind them or there was six or seven people in behind them so it'd sell again in a heartbeat at a similar sort of value that, that that's really important um, so that evidence um, is pulled together but the, the tricky bits the actual size how many cars um, you know some 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 detail around the quality all those sorts of things are. Hard to gather, um, but given that we've been in the apartment space for such a long time, we've got a lot of that um, information in our in our own data sets. So we're probably ahead of the game there. So there's no one single source of truth. Uh, no, data. look, I'm sure there's a, a giant a giant um, conglomerate out there trying to do it, or they are trying to do it at the moment um, to automate the valuation process, and, and you might find one day. Um, residential uh, applications for residential loans are completely automated and the value might be just a data gatherer rather than coming up with a specific number. It might be might be a computer-generated thing. And, and they've got to have um, quality information to get a quality outcome. So I'm not sure they're at the quality information point. And that's that's the tricky bit, getting, getting really good, accurate data as a base because if it's rubbish at the start, you'll get a rubbish result. And you just mentioned quality, which was in relation to the finishes yeah. of a product. How do you assess quality? Yeah, um, I assess quality. Um, well, it needs to be considered in the context of the of the location too. So that's the first step. No point building a, a Brighton quality product in a in a market that that, that can't pay for it. Um, so you just, that's a simple sort of first step, have a look at it. Is it is it um, suitable for the market which is going to be built? And then you then you start looking at the structure um, critically um, because we I get told quite often it's 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 a premium product. It's got X, you know, it's um, high quality appliances and the rest of it and then I find out the ceiling height's twenty five hundred. That's not quality. So you know if if your structure is um, you know, if there hasn't been money going to the structure and provides you know space and and, and, a, and a good base, um, then no matter how good your fixtures and finishes are, you know that they only have a certain life really in terms of um, the value component. You know, um, if you've got an investment, for instance, five to ten years, you know the, you've run your depreciation down there with nothing, um, and, and in some ways that's correct in the market. You know, people are looking to change them over. Um, within five to ten years. So they're the trinkets, if you like, 
um, but the, the real quality goes into the, the frame, you know, the lifts, uh, the basement, the the quality of, of, of all, all those sorts of things that you can't fix again. You know, they can't be, I'll go in and adjust the ceiling heights. That ain't going to happen, you know. <laughs> but I can I can change the oven and, and the hot plate over. So I look at the I look at the nuts and bolts, the, the core of the building, to determine the quality and the panels used. And um, you know, in, in a seaside location, you know, too much, um, too much poor quality material will see a, a rapid deterioration. So you need you need to get those sorts of things sorted out. Okay, so a lot to consider. Yeah, look, you, we are on it. The more you do, the better you get at it. So. That's that's the the trick with it. You just got to keep doing them, and you learn something every day. And what kind of relationship should the developer and the valuer have? I mean, is it a, is it a short term relationship just for the, the no. valuation for the lending? Look, I don't think um, a developer should be wedded to one value. I think it makes sense that due to conflicts or. When I say conflicts, conflicts in terms of a, a commercial arrangement where, you know, if, if you bought the site off night, Frank, I'm not going to value it for you for settlement, okay? So you need to um, have a good relationship with a couple of your trusted valuers that you've worked well with in the past and, and you're able to pick the phone up and talk to. You know, as I said, they're independent. You've got to consider the bank's position. But you might have a, a question on, um, you know, uh, what we're talking about, uh, a quality element, and will it be properly recognised in the market? You speak, you know, bounce a few ideas off the value, and hopefully they give you some some reasonable advice. Um, also, you know, currency of evidence, or um, you, you, know, the, you might be speaking to the value on on um, you know certain events, for instance, introduction of stamp duty that's increases that are coming in mid year again. Um, I'm getting asked all the time impacts on that land tax increases with new assessments. At the moment, I'm getting asked a lot of queries on that. So if you've got a value and a good relationship with the value, you can pick the phone up and say, "What's what's this all about? How's it going to hurt me?" And if someone's looking to establish a relationship or find a valuer, yeah, what kind of questions should they be asking, or how would they go about doing that? Yeah, look, it's trial and error. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can didn't go, expect a valuer to be saying that. Well, some kind of process to go through. Well, look, it's it, it's like anything. How did you get your architect? How did you get your corners to lay? How did you? You know, you ask contemporaries in the market who they use, what their experience was like. Um, will they? Will that particular professional suit this type of development? You know, will he charge me too much and take too long for something that's straightforward? But then I might want, you know, the, the, the risk taken out of it, you know, and I'm happy to do that. It really comes down to the individual and, you know, the circumstances. And and, and, in, and then once you, you get a, a, a portfolio of projects or portfolio, um, you know, bank of projects that you've done, um, you know, you start to establish your own team. And a valuer can once they once again I talk about this independence. You can you can have a valuer uh, as part of your your suite of consultants, as you would a conservator who's also independent. I wanted to ask you that question about at what stages you would 
engage a value we've talked about first mortgage for yeah. lending yeah and then also construction funding yep so first mortgage again yep, yep. so when when do you start talking to the bank yeah. um, or are there other times oh look there are other times you know right at, you know when you when you're in a bidding process and um, you can you can have the chat I mean you can get pre-purchase advice um you know, um, generally we come in when you want to settle the land and once again when you want to develop the land. So, um, and there might be some conversations and some meetings along the way just to, for you to present what you're thinking and if there's any feedback. Um, but, it, you know, it's generally that, that sort of process where we, we get involved. Um but, but, you know, there's probably um, a developing element of, um, of a consultancy at start, you know, um, and establish a, a, a position in terms of market evidence that you might be able to get your hands on uh, equally, you know. You're talking about a rising market. You know, sometimes the value will, will give you a position at a point in time and then when you finally go to the bid, you know, it's moved. You've got to be nimble enough to, to, to read the market as well and and know that, you know, perhaps that number's been left behind and that you've got a, a range that you might have been comfortable to move in. Um, so, but look, I, I encourage every developer to pick the phone up and talk to the value and, and have, the, have the chats when required. So would there be any benefit to then sitting down with the valuer before they begin the valuation, say for your... Construction funding, yeah, absolutely. To say, look, here's the project. Here's what we want to do. Here's our vision. Yeah. We're doing X, Y, Z. Yep. Is, is there benefit to that? Absolutely. Yep. Um, there, there, there's particularly. I mean, we get that a lot with big, really big projects because there's a lot to understand and take in. Um, and quite often, they don't have a a particular bank in mind. They they might take it to two or three banks because some banks are, uh, you know. Um, are interested in that market and funding. Some some are out. Some change their mind in between because of you know directions from above and how their books weighted and what sort of things. So you can never assume a, you know a bank or you might have a relationship with a bank. Um, some banks prefer to control the valuation process. That's the other thing. So you've got to be a bit careful that you don't step on on toes if you go to the bank directly. I mean, a particular bank who says no no no, value is working for me. I'll organise the valuer. You, 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 you stay there and call the bill and call your jets and pay the bill. Um, but but we we want to structure the we want to get the construction right. We want to make sure that um, what we need as a bank and a credit unit is articulated in the report. So it, 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 once again, it's trial and error. Unfortunately, it's every bank will be different. Um, and, and even in tiers of banks, they'll have a different approach. But understand your market, ask lots of questions, ask questions of, of your banker, get the banker to ask credit. So I know I know that's what you think. Can you just do me the favour of go and ask credit if they're happy for me to use my frank valuations, make sure they're on the panel, all those sorts of things. So um, that's pretty important. It's Good that you brought up the panel for yeah. the banks. Yep. I had a question around whether you can save any time bringing a valuer on 
prior to applying for your construction funding. Yeah. Because I know it's taking longer and longer. Yep. Um, three, four plus months now to from start to finish to apply for construction funding, which yep. sort of slows things down. And the valuation report is a key part of that, as mm. is the quantity surveyor's report. Yeah. If you were to engage a valuer who was on a common across a number of panels mm. prior to the application, yep. within whatever your shelf life of your, of your reports are. Yeah, 90 days. 90 yeah. days. Is that a way of potentially saving four or five weeks uh, yeah. at your, uh, when you apply? Absolutely. Because you've already got the valuation report to go. Yeah. Uh, once again, timing's everything. So there's no point getting an evaluation for construction funding. It's, high, it's qualified because your quantity surveyor hadn't been able to verify a construction contract. That takes another four months. You've got to get your timing right. So... Um, Pre, you know, it's it's a preference of a number of banks for the quantity surveyor's report to sit as an appendix within the valuation because the value is then beholden to articulate that we're talking about the same development. The, the, the references to the to the architectural plans or the, the stamp plans are, are the same. The the number of apartments are the same. The number of car spaces being you know being provided are the same. So those sorts of simple checks, everything's consistent. Um, what the bank don't like is when the value is said there's 173, the Connie surveyor said there's 192, you know, and 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 the and the final plans come through on secondary consent there's 160, you know, which is common in this market because uh, a lot of owner occupiers are, are up and about and, and are putting apartments together. That that is effectively a, a cross, you know, they're just going to throw it back. <laughs> So you've got to get your timing right, uh, but but you can only get your timing right by engaging early and timing your run with all of these moving parts. And a good valuer should be able to guide you through that, Correct. I would imagine. Yep, for sure. And look, a lot of quantity surveyors uh, at the moment seem to um, want the valuation as part of their report, and that's more that's part of this reconciliation. Again, they want to make sure that, that we're all talking the same language. I'd probably argue it's... It's the other way around. The, the valuation should have the quantity surveyor's report because there's nothing that we do in terms of our opinion that the quantity surveyor uses. So they're not using the end, the value of, of the land. They've got no interest in that. The value of the apartments when they're complete, they've got no interest in that. But we have a real interest in what they verify as a construction number, what they tell us is a, an appropriate construction period, and even a month-to-month drawdown can be quite sensitive to a, to a profit outcome. So we're, we're very zoned in on, on their report. I wanted to ask about that relationship between the valuer, the quantity surveyor, yep. and the bank and how that how that works. Yeah. Outline that a little bit. But yeah. I'm always curious because the quantity surveyor wants the valuer's report, the valuer yeah. wants the quantity surveyor's report, yep. and they're sort of being, well, they are being done in parallel quite often. Yeah, once again, the parallel independent experts that are a requirement to get a, a, a lending facility outcome, um, you know, the, the good valuer should be able to pick the phone up and quite regularly ring the quantity surveyor and, and be able to chat with them about why there might be variations, why there might be differences in, you know, what plans were you using, what were, just to get a, a fit rather than just throw it back and say, they don't match, try again. Try and work. I mean, really... Um, it's appropriate to, to try and 
flag with the developer, hey, guess what, you know, these are out. Oh, you know, forgot to send them the secondary consent plans. They were using the, the old endorsed plans from seven months ago. Um, so you really need to work together. Um, there's some, you know, some, maybe some commentary in the quantity surveys report that the value should understand before they just assume. Um, and as I said, you know, my position, I've already said it on who should come first. I think the quantity survey should, should complete his report um, before the valuer finishes his because we're more reliant on what they say than they are the other way around. So what mistakes do you see or can see developers getting into from a valuation perspective? Mistakes. Um, look, it's um, mistakes is an interesting word. Um, look, as I said, that, that consistency of documentation um, is it a mistake? Look, nothing's incorrect until <laughs> um, you know you, you've started a process, it's complete, and then you realise that it's got to be redone. You know, that's a mistake. Um, so that, that getting that currency of information, getting everyone on the same page, the one page, and that can be tricky when when a development's evolving. So it's the critical thing is there's no point giving someone an endorsed plans when that they're not what you're going to build. Give them the endorsed plans and say, look, that that locks in our building envelope. We've got that planning risk out of the way. And I'll give you those plans, but please don't rely on them. Here's here's what we're going to provide under secondary consent. This is what we're actually going to build because we've adjusted to the market and this is what fits the market. And so that might be a qualifier. So we'll, we'll qualify a report that that's stamped. That's pretty common, particularly, as I said, in an evolving market. You, know, you need to get your funding to get comfort to sign the builder. There's all these sorts of things that are moving around. So there's always going to be some qualifications. Um, mistakes. Um, oh, look, the mistakes uh, can come with... You know, getting the product wrong, um, you know, getting a, getting price points beyond beyond the market. Uh, equally, you know, um, uh, potentially pitching to a market where the market's saturated. Um, uh, you know, it, it's those sorts of things where you know the value will step back and go, "Oh, to you, I don't know if they've really understood." Where your suburb is at the moment, you know, um, you know, some of the apartment proposals in outer, outer suburban principal activity centres, you know, the, the councils are uh, zoning these um, places for development, but the market hasn't quite got there yet. You know what I mean? And, and they throw, they'll throw up a proposal that was never going to fly. Um, so you know, there's those sorts of things, but you know, that's part and parcel of developing too. You test it doesn't work you go back to the drawing board you try again you do something different um but it's better that you you've probably thought of all that through before you secure the site because you've obviously got to carry it um but that's the sort of the things we work through in terms of you know, mistakes and in inverted commas and then can you just give us a bit of a run through of where you're seeing the various markets at the moment yep um i think the investment tower market's going to take a, a pause. Um, you know, high stock levels came online last year. There's another high amount of stock coming online this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of reports in the paper about oversupply. Um, we use the vacancy rates as a test of oversupply, and that's still sitting around 3%, which is equilibrium. 
So it means the market's in balance. Your rents aren't going up. They're not going down. Um, so that investment market is, you know, for every apartment that they release, they're getting a tenant. And then, and then that's what the investor wants to, to pay the bills. So the banks have, have retract, you know, drawn, withdrawn from that market to some degree, not, a, not across the board. A good development's a good development. They'll look at all of it. But they are definitely pulling, pulling back. Um, and so we're going to have a bit of a dip in, in apartment completions, you know, beyond, you know, 28, 2018. Um, uh, but uh, the, the, the really hot market at the moment is, um, in terms of my space, um, apartments and, and townhouses is the, um, uh, the owner-occupier space, and that's, that's across the board. Um, obviously, more inner-suburban to middle-suburban apartments um, uh, are going really well. Uh, High-quality lifestyle locations going well, and then townhouses as you move out. Um, for front occupiers, um, you know, whether it be a high-quality townhouse in queue or a lower-priced, affordable entry-point townhouse for a first-home buyer in Keysborough or, or Melton or, or wherever, um, they're, they're going really well. So the owner-occupiers dominate the market at the moment. And can you talk us through, when you talk about big towers, mm. and there's been a lot of speculation in the media about valuations being lower than what people yep. paid for. And can you talk us through about how that happens and yep. the implications of that? Yeah. Um, so up until, well, 1 July 2017, the rules change a bit. There was always an off-the-plan concession for, for duty, and that could work out roughly to 4%, um, particularly when you get a low land value component, you know, a very tall tower, um, small uh, investment apartment with a low value component. Um, there were quite significant stamp duty savings, so, you know, there's 4%. Um, you're buying something, well, the, the purchase is buying something brand new, so it's, well, you know, why do you buy a Mercedes and drive it out of the showroom only to know that as soon as you put a few clicks on the clock, it's it's worth less. Um, that's that's another element to it. There's full depreciation benefits as opposed to something that may be five years old. Um, the other element, and probably critical in this market, has been a speculative element that takes, you know, six months of sitting on, you've got your thumb on a contract, there's six months before it gets built, it takes two years to build, and I haven't had to do anything other than provide a 10% deposit, and then there's a well, 10% deposit, and then there's a balance to be, to be paid. So it, that's probably critical, that, that, that it's been that delayed settlement that has been an uplift in, in a pre-sale position, as opposed to if you've got to buy 10% now, Balance in sixty to ninety days. Yeah. All right. What's your one tip for developers out there? Yeah, look, look we've talked about engage with the valuer. Um, get get organised with your documentation. Don't feel like it's a confrontational engagement. Work together. Um, work together to get the right documents to the valuer to, to avoid confusion and, and delays, and you come up with a good result. And just a lighthearted question to finish: yeah. If you could sit down for dinner with any three people, alive or dead, mm. who would they be? Well, I try to. If I'm having dinner, I'm trying to not talk property because I talk property every day of the week, so I have a little bit of a break. So I like horse racing, wine, and, and football. So it'd be Lee Friedman, James Halliday, and, and Mike Fitzpatrick uh, would be the three. I'd uh, like to have a uh, medium rare steak with a cabernet and, and some hot English mustard, and <laughs> maybe some cheese at the end. 
All right. Well, David Way, thank you so much for being on the Property Developer Podcast. I appreciate you sharing all your information and, uh, and ideas about valuation with us. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. See you later. Good on you. Okay, there you go. Everything you need to know about valuers and valuations. I enjoyed my chat with David and took away these key points. One, try to develop a good relationship with a quality valuer. Having a good valuer among your team of consultants can really help you fine-tune your feasibility or strengthen your loan application. You can speak with them about when to start the valuation process, key issues or challenges to address, and what they can help with. This can make a big difference to a lender looking favourably upon your application and how it is assessed, which will help things move along as smoothly as possible. But it is good to remember that the valuation report for a lending application is commissioned by the lender and the valuer is really appointed by them to prepare an independent valuation report, not a glossy document that makes you look good. Two, keep all your latest reports and information in one place to provide to the valuer. The list of documents the valuers need is often really long, so I try and keep all the final reports or key documents that are prepared for me in a Dropbox folder, so I don't have to go digging around for them when they are needed. I find I refer to these reports quite frequently anyway, so it is good having them all in one place. So try to keep a copy of all your final or latest reports in an easy-to-access place to save you time in the future. 3. Understand what the valuer is trying to achieve. You need to remember that the valuer is an independent consultant, although you can still work with them to get the best outcome. Understand that they are independent and doing a job usually ultimately for the lender and not the developer, but that doesn't mean you can't work together to get the best result. Try and provide the latest, most accurate information you can and keep them posted if anything changes. It's in your best interest to try and make their job as easy as possible. Alright, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation about valuation. I certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. Don't forget, you can always head over to the show's website, www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com and leave a comment on this episode's show notes. That's episode 31. Or you can find me on Facebook and Instagram under Property Developer Podcast. Thanks again for listening in. And until next time, may all your valuations come in as expected. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.